0: Welcome to the Volrath Feed, the show that brings you the insight into the world of commercial food service. It's a big industry, so we know there will always be lots of interesting things to talk about, from trend-setting chefs and industry leaders to everyday people who keep the industry moving. And if you've ever had any experience in the industry, you know it's fun and exciting, a very uh, changing environment. So we we have a lot of fun with our guests and and an all-around good time here on the show. So, I'm your host, Rich Rupp product trainer and chef at the Volrath Company. And as always, joining me is our producer, Justin Pearson. Hello, Chef. How are you doing? I'm doing okay today. How about you? Yeah, We're getting through it. We're getting through it. There you go. It's going to be a great day today. I think so. We've got a great uh, episode coming up here with our Chef Angus. Um, before we roll into that, I, I just wanted to make a note to um, any of our listeners who haven't listened to all of our previous episodes, if you're new, or if you want a really good one to go back and listen to, The one that dropped on Tuesday, July 7th, the Words of Wisdom. Uh, At the end of our show, if you've listened to us before, you know we have quotes that our guests give. And that episode is really just a kind of best of all those quotes. So if you haven't listened to the show much or if you want to catch up on some of the great quotes that have been out there, give that one a listen. I think there's some really good stuff there. I keep those lists on my wall, and I really enjoy reading them from time to time.
1: The nice thing about those is it's it's not just the quotes. They provide so much information on the front and back end of those, their inspiration, where it comes from, and then they build off of that, their philosophy. So it's, it's there's a lot of really good information and hints and tips and tricks to success within those.
0: So right, yeah, right. D- definitely worth, uh, worth a listen. It's a good way to kind of catch up on some of our guests that we've had so far on the show. Yeah. So coming up later on today's show, as I mentioned, we have, um, we're going international, Justin. We're going yeah. outside the bounds of the U.S. We're crossing borders here. We're crossing the borders. <laughs> we're going up to Canada, and we will talk with Chef Angus Ahn from Vancouver, who runs his restaurant, Mainam. And we have uh, several other concepts as well, but that's kind of his big one. And we have a history with Angus uh, at the Volrath Company. We've done some things with him and been a good relationship. He's a really talented guy. As I said, several concepts, Thai, Thai restaurant in in and around Vancouver. The list of awards and accomplishments is pretty extensive. If you look on his website, you can see all those, uh, including cooking at the famed James Beard House in New York. You know, it's easy to understand. If you've ever tried any of his food, it is phenomenal. He's got a cookbook coming out, and, um, you know, top everything off, he's just a, he's a great guy to hang out with, super friendly, really looking forward to talking again with Angus for a little bit. He's got so much going
1: on, and it, for what I'm doing, there never seems like there's enough time. And then you, you see people like Chef Angus that are just crushing it from all sides, and you're like,
0: do you even sleep? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's just really good at what he does, and I think he's, he just plans. If you ever watch him... He's, he's one of those classic chefs that everything is, is in its place, you know, the whole mise en place. And he's very neat. He's cleaning up after himself. And you can just tell he's very organized. And that that's, a, am sure, a quality that he uses to keep his life, you know, not just in cooking, but that's how he is, I think, right?
1: Makes you wonder how much time is lost in the day searching for something. You know, oh. it, anything. When I go on shoots and stuff like that and, and I get back and I'm tired, I'm... Sometimes I'm not as diligent about putting things back where they go and I'm like, "Oh, I'll get to that tomorrow." And then you know, the next day I'm like, "Uh, oh, what did what did I where did I set that lens?" You know? it's just like, right. "Oh, it's over on this table and not
0: in this case where it belongs," you know. And, no, I can I can tell you in a kitchen to put things back is is your towel, the, the tongs, the spoon, the, the lid on the pot, the things that you when you're in a hurry, you expect to be where you last, where you have them in your mind, I guess, the way you think of it that way, it's important because all of a sudden, when that starts going sideways, now your timing is off. That step that you could have saved is now gone, and now you're behind.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: putting things back, and again, watching Angus cook and the way he works, it's very apparent. He likes things and he's always tidying up. You know, he likes a neat, organized environment. And it's kind of funny. I was at a show where we had um, another chef with Angus. And the other chef is a super talented guy, too. I mean, he's just got a really great palate and a good um, sense of of, new cuisine and and making creative things together. So these guys are very, very talented but very, very different. And I found myself watching Angus and, you know, very organized, as I was saying. And then the other chef was – he's less organized, so I was kind of behind him trying to to clean up because it was even a little bit more than – that I'm really comfortable with because I can sometimes get in that where you, you get busy too. Like you just said, you put something down, you think, where did it go? But when you take the time to put it back to where you need it, it's always there. That's, that's important. So
1: Yeah, I guess that, that just boils down to, to a, a discipline factor and mm-hmm. getting into that routine of like, right. just put it back. It, it'll make your life easier. It'll make speed up. You know, yeah, he's classically
0: process. trained. He went to school at the uh, French Culinary Institute in New York City. And uh, he's also spends a lot of time, I know, in uh, Thailand. He goes back quite a bit to learn uh, more about the cuisine. It's funny, he went to the French Culinary Institute and he's into Thai cooking, but that's his story.
1: Like everyone knows, I I do not have a food service background, uh, but from my experience in watching other people, I would imagine that being classically trained translates and can be integrated into anything. Right, you know, there, it's a skill set that you can apply to, to any type of
0: cuisine. And that's for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when we think about the classic reputation that some cooks have, right in the kitchen, the uh, we've talked to several chefs on our show here about that, and it's that um, it's changed now, right? It's not the tyrant in the kitchen anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not the you're going to have to pay your dues and you're under my thumb till till some days I declare you to be worthy to be. Mm-hmm. You know my my uh, sidekick or my uh, assistant, but Angus is he's just real friendly, open. He'll teach you anything you want to ask him. I mean, he wrote a cookbook, and he's just real open in that way. And and you're right, though he does a lot of uh, a lot of community stuff.
1: He's giving back. He's teaching classes. You know, he's he's spreading his mm-hmm. knowledge base around, and that is not only commendable, but it's it's something to to look up to and inspires. Mm-hmm the next generation to follow in those footsteps of, of giving back and staying humble. Yeah,
0: that's that's a fact. You know, the James Beard House, that um, that award, and for our listeners that don't know, the James Beard House is a it's a house, actually, in New York City that is uh, the home of James Beard, a chef from early on, I think, uh, in the 40s, 50s, something in there, and it's a, it's a great honor for chefs to be invited to prepare prepare a meal at this at this house. And there's awards that come out every year. I'm not sure if he's ever won any of the awards, but I know he's been invited to cook there. And uh, that's, again, quite an honor for, for chefs to go there and and prepare a meal at the James Beard House. How does one get invited to do that? I mean, is that just like a letter that shows up? You I'll have that, to ask him about that. I was going to say, that might be a good question. I'm not sure. I, I just know he was there. And um, I've known some other chefs that have been invited to do that, but I just don't know if they... Maybe they're nominated, and then as you're nominated, you get to, to do it. That's got to be
1: an incredible amount of pressure, you know, to, to decide on a menu. Or, or maybe it isn't. You're just like, I, you know, I'm going to go with what works and do what I'm
0: best known for. Or, yeah. or do you challenge yourself? I know the chef that uh, I worked with in Arizona when he was invited, we ship rocks. We're in Sedona, and Sedona's known for the Red Rocks. Mm-hmm. We put a, a box of rocks on the pallet to ship <laughs> so that he had centerpieces for his meal. So I think it's, you know, the, you want to be creative, you want to have some fun with it. And uh, A, yeah, you're there. These guys are talented to them. The pressure's not like you and I are thinking, right? They're, they're like, hey, I got this, I suppose. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's an opportunity to pull out all the stops and just really show what you're capable of doing.
0: Right. So I think one of the things that will be interesting to hear from Angus is how he manages his time and divides himself really amongst all of his different concepts that he has or his different uh, food outlets. Right? He's got his flagship main Am. He's mm-hmm. got Gastropod, which is uh, recognized, uh, got a lot of accolades on it. He's got Freebird Chicken, Fat Mile Noodles. He's got just a couple other Concepts I know going on and he's just always got something that works every time you talk to him he, He's got some new idea. He's working on and he wants to talk about Product and he loves absolutely loves volrath induction He is a huge volrath induction fan. We've done some work with him on photo shoots been up to I haven't but uh, the, the photo shoot team was up in his place and Shooting some some videos of him working on the units he just loves them So that's always been fun to work with him on those
1: yeah, it's fun when you get a chef who really, really buys into to induction and they they see the capabilities of it and and then they start really expanding and exploring what can be done with it. And they, they, they stretch that that
0: limit even further. Mm-hmm. That's what we were showcasing at the show. We also were talking about, an, I think, sous vide at that show, and he was big into sous vide as well. He made a sous vide, as I remember, beef rib with like a Thai curry something and it was just delicious i mean that's the only food show i think i've been at where people were coming to our booth and they were saying that they were sent over here for the food and you know as you know we're an equipment company but uh word was out angus was cooking in our booth so it was pretty cool (laughs) all right well justin i think uh we've done enough talking about angus i think it's time we welcome into the show yeah angus hey welcome to the volrath feed how you doing today i'm good thanks for having me it's uh,
2: exciting to uh, chat with you guys
0: yeah our, our pleasure we've uh you know, just working with you has been a great joy, and I know that uh, hearing about all your concepts is, is going to be fun today, but you, you've always got stuff going on. You, every time I, I speak to you, you've got some new concept you're working on or some new project. I think last time we talked it might have been your book and a new restaurant. So what do you got going on? Well, you know,
2: I think the restaurants in terms of new restaurants might be on hold for a while, you know, but yeah. uh, you know, obviously the book was coming out in May. Uh, That's been pushed back a bit to August now. So August 4th is coming out. I'll be sending you guys some books. Um, Fantastic. Nice. You know, it's been a work in progress for the past three, four years, as you know. And I'm very proud and happy that it's coming out. Um, You know, we were supposed to release it in last October, but it got delayed to May. uh, And then... When, when May kicked around, uh, we, we basically figured that, you know, it's not going to be on anyone's top of mind right now. So we delayed it to August, which I felt like was a good move. So that's basically what's been, uh, what's been going on. And I've been busy just trying to reopen our businesses and restaurants and trying to adhere to the ever-changing codes and restrictions that, uh, you know, uh, over here in, uh, in B.C., in Canada... Uh, we're doing pretty well with the uh, with the battle with uh, COVID, and I think we're trying very hard to follow the updates every day to see what's what is uh, what is allowed, what's not allowed. And luckily for us, we have one of the better restrictions in terms of uh, number of customers, uh, only because I think we've done well with the case count. So, um, so we've been just busy with trying to reopen all of the businesses, and you know we didn't want to reopen them all at once. So the past three months. Uh, has been difficult right so when when it first started uh, we were one of the first restaurants to close before the uh, before the mandate to close we closed uh, all of our restaurants uh, voluntarily and we were able to start doing takeout out of Mainom right away uh, pretty much with just one day delay we, we started doing takeout and that was water well received and ever since then that was in March so ever since then we've been trying to focus on you know reopening a, a restaurant Um, after another so we didn't want to reopen them all at once Uh, we were able to do takeout uh, here and there and then eventually when we got the green light from the government to go into phase two of you know kind of reopening for kind of limited capacities we we waited for about another two weeks Uh, just I wanted to kind of feel how uh, customers comfort levels were uh, before we jump right into it and we did that. We were able to hire back most of our staff and, you know, go from there, right? So it's it's every day is something new. So we tried try to kind of keep an open mind and go from go from there.
0: Yeah, right. How many of your concepts do you have open right now?
2: Uh, I got all of them except one. Freebird right now is not going to reopen as is. Um, Freebird is our newest chicken place, and it was set in a uh, co-op working space. And the, the office building that it's in is... Um, is sub-leased to us in terms of the the, the restaurant space, and they're only going to keep it until the end of the year. They decided t- not to, uh, they're returning the space back. So for me, I didn't see the point of working so hard to reopen a space just to have to move it in six months or so. So hmm. uh, my next project right now would be going to move that location um, out of there and we're going to do. We're going to experiment with a ghost restaurant concept. So mm-hmm. we'll have it out of our prep kitchen in Mainom where we're just doing takeout and delivery uh, for that concept. So that's kind of the next um, challenge.
1: Right. Okay. How, how have you modified your takeout and menu uh, to preserve the integrity of the food uh, as it reaches your customers?
2: Yeah, I mean it's difficult because. Um, you know, uh, there's several parts to that question. You know, one of the restaurants we never did takeout uh, before only because it didn't travel well. It was our soup noodle concept. It's mm-hmm. the full induction restaurant that uh, uh, Vorath is a big part of. And, you know, we do we do the cooking uh, 100% on induction. Um, the reason I have never done takeout out of that restaurant is because the soup noodles doesn't travel well. Mm-hmm. So that restaurant we had to do the biggest amount of modification because we had to you know, we obviously have to spend more money on containers, so we separate the soup and the noodles, and we have a pretty cute uh, instruction card for people to actually get the deliveries, how to heat up your new- how to heat up the soup separately, and then you pour it onto the noodles and different things like that. So, you know, for one bowl of noodles that, you know, cost probably 13, $14, now suddenly, instead of one container, we have to give out two, sometimes three containers. So that's a bit of a challenge, but, you know, you kind of have to make do so i that was the biggest adjustment we had to make all of our other restaurants uh are accustomed to doing takeout so main even though it's a very small percentage uh for takeout um we 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 are accustomed to doing takeout on a regular basis normally i would say pre-covid we probably do about five to ten percent of our, our sales is on takeout obviously um For a while there, uh, that was all of our sales. uh, And people were uh, uh, welcoming that pretty, you know, they were ordering foods through delivery apps or through pickups. And uh, it was keeping us going for a while, paying the bills and different things like that. Uh, You know, since we have reopened, uh, the mandate here is you can have social distancing set up and you can run as much as 70% uh, capacity. Now, that was... uh, difficult because not, you know, you can't, you can't pack the room as much. So the takeout, uh, luckily for us has still been a big part of our sales. So, you know, pre COVID, like I said, it was five to 10%. And now mm-hmm. for us is probably about 25, 30% of, wow. of takeout. So people are still, uh, eating at home. They, mm-hmm. they are you know still trying to distance themselves, but luckily for us, they're willing to kind of order takeout and, and get different foods.
1: Did you have to adjust your menu at all, or did you keep it the same? Uh, we we definitely had to simplify the menu uh, pretty much across the
2: board. Uh, yeah. The reason for that is uh, it's hard enough for restaurants to survive in the regular market, you know, because right. you know how high everyone's overheads are. When you're suddenly asked to reduce your capacity to half, you know, for most restaurants they're not even able to kind of reopen with, you know, basically handcuffed to fifty percent capacity. So, you know, we had to re- reduce the number of staff. Um, And in doing so, we have to reduce the the number of dishes on the menu just so that, you know, I I like to keep things nice and fresh. And um, um, for the uh, Fat Mel, our our noodle place, um, we don't even have a walk-in fridge. Hmm. Uh, So everything is kind of purchased daily and prepped daily. And so we, you know, we won't be able to do that with a regular size menu. So we have to reduce the size of the menu. Uh, Also making sure when we're doing takeout uh, only, uh, the dishes have to be more... Uh, here to take out you know a little bit more Mm -hmm. i also noticed at that time people were gravitating towards more comfort food because you know obviously it was a difficult time for everybody so it was a lot more things that uh, could be reheated uh, things that traveled well traveled better Mm -hmm. um, you know take out foods that that uh, are more takeout food and i think restaurants that do did that had a better time with takeout versus there's a lot of fine dining restaurants that had a harder time with takeout because their food is not uh, met for takeout. This doesn't look good. No food really looks good in a box, but you know, no, it's hard to, no, it hard to adjust that. Right. So a lot of the fine dining restaurants that I know had a hard time or they just didn't even bother with takeout. So
1: I'm glad that you were able to make, make that adjustment. I'm sure your, your customers were glad too to be able to, to still have that during this bizarre time. How's the process been getting your staff back? Uh, how, how, how is Canada handling, uh, taking care of, uh, out of work employees? Because you know, in the U.S. here, it's been some people have been uh, having some challenges getting people to you know leave their safe home and give up their their nice unemployment checks to get back into the kitchen.
2: Uh, I mean, f- overall, Canada in general had a really good uh, subsidy program and and support from the government, and to some extent, almost too good. A lot of you know a lot of people that uh, are getting the the SERP uh, funding from the government. Uh, you know, luckily for us, we haven't had the, the, those type of people. But I know from, from experience with other people in the field or other people in other industries that, you know, there are there are a handful of people that just would not want to come back to work. Either A, um, they don't feel comfortable, or B, um, they, they feel happy just staying home and collecting, you know, set amount of money, right? So, you know, for Canada, that's been a pretty good system, but um, it's also... Uh, for us, it, for us, for our restaurants and our operations, ha- luckily we have a pretty good balance of the people that we need. All, uh, all uh, want to come back and feel comfortable coming back, and you know we have protocols in place, and you know I bought uh, I bought foggers and disinfectant to you know for the safety uh, for both our clients and for our staff. So that's been good. But you know overall, I think people uh, in in our companies were excited to come back to work. And you know, get out of their
1: houses and stuff. That's great. I mean, that just seems like a testament to the culture that you, that you build there with with your employees, and and the fact that they want to come back, they're ready to come back, and they they, they want to. That's that's awesome.
0: So Angus, um, one of the things I know I was always impressed by when we talk is that you go back to Thailand quite a bit and uh, do research and and try to make sure you're you're uh, up to speed on what's going on and. when was was the last time you were in thailand and what did you come back with anything that you've changed or put in your restaurants
2: uh i was there last year you know we were obviously scheduled to go sometime this year again but um uh, things obviously changed and shifted um you know in the past couple of trips i've been actually you know been more passive you know i think i've been trying not to uh have the work cap on i've been trying to just relax and enjoy myself and i think there were definitely a few additions and dishes that i brought back but it was nothing like before you know before it was always kind of like a new a whole new menu but lately i've been just going there to try to relax and enjoy myself rather than constantly uh going out and about so
0: well you need that too right that yeah, uh, for sure relaxation time you take the family right yeah yeah of course absolutely you know i was talking also earlier that um, you went to school in New York at the French Culinary Institute. And I think you told me once it was one of your instructors that really influenced you with Thai. Is that right? Or how did that?
2: Uh, no, I mean, I, I, uh, I stumbled upon Thai cooking accidentally. I was uh, traveling in Europe. Um, and you know, I was obviously French trained. I worked in restaurants in New York and Montreal. And when I decided to move to uh, London, I was working in European restaurants mostly. And then I met uh, my roommate uh, at the time was working he started working for uh, Chef David Thompson, who was a, a really well-known uh, Michelin star Thai chef at the time. So that's how I met uh, David and I worked for him and I just kind of opened my eyes about uh, Thai food and, um, you know, really changed my perception on how to think about food, right? Because most of the time people, you know, they think they think a certain cuisine is the pinnacle of, uh, of cooking, but it's not. You know, I think, you know, when I when I was uh, asked to go check out uh, Nam, I'm Davis Kitchen at the time. I was gonna kind of say, oh, you know, I don't know if I really want to learn Thai food. It's I feel like you know, French cooking is kind of what I wanted, wanted to do, uh, thinking that you know I knew so much about food and Thai food was gonna be like, you know, casual beneath something that's beneath me or something. That was like the mindset, but when I went there and tasted their food and saw their cooking, and I realized how little I knew about kind of cooking and how little I knew about cuisine in general, because I think. From one aspect, uh, of certain cuisines can certainly elevate other aspects. Like the thing about Thai food that really uh, captivated me was the flavors—obviously, the robust, the, the sharp, the bright flavors—and uh, also the balance. Um, uh, how to be able to balance flavors, and and the way David Cook was also about, you know, layering flavors. So when you go to cooking school, they teach you these techniques on how to sear, how to grill, how to cut, but no one really teaches you how to season. You know, for the longest time when I was working as a saucier in French restaurants, you know, my seasoning tray is salt and pepper, you know, and then occasionally for a sauce, we get to play with vinegar reductions or gastrique <laughs> or whatnot, right? And that's it. But, like, when you think about uh, Asian cooking and Thai cooking in particular, like, you're seasoning with flavor. You know, uh, Rich and I, we, we've done many demos together where you see me, you know, I'm seasoning with, like, fried garlic because aroma is a seasoning. You know, I'm I'm Uh adding different layers of flavor. And that's how I really fell in love with it. And um, it was a bit of a a, a good slap in the face. Like, you know, I didn't didn't know as much as I thought I knew, Uh, even though I was a well-trained technical cook. You know, I didn't know enough about other cuisines. And learning Thai food um, was a a huge step. You know, when we moved back, we opened a restaurant called Gashapal, which had a lot of European food a lot of Asian influences and ultimately uh, when the recession hit in 09, I was able to, we were, my wife and I were thinking about opening a second restaurant as a Thai restaurant uh, because at that time there wasn't any good restaurants, uh, good Thai restaurants here. Uh, Instead of opening a second restaurant, we converted our kind of fine dining restaurant into a casual Thai place and that ultimately kind of saved my career. Uh, And so, you know, I've always kind of turned back to that moment where I learned Thai food, uh, as a turning point in my career, I guess. Hmm.
1: So for somebody who m- might not really understand the concept of, uh, layering flavors, um, could you describe what that means to you, um, and, and how that unfolds and, and the process and technique that goes into creating layered flavors?
2: Yeah. You know, it's, 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 um, it's hard to explain, but also easy at the same time. It's kind of like how my mom and grandmother cook, you know, they, they, they taste and season as they go, because, you know, yes. uh, or sometimes when you're thinking about an ingredient, you know you're you're building in different layers. So for me, it's always been you know we don't we don't serve a curry base uh, like a green curry, for example, and you can choose chicken, beef, or or, or fish, and you use the same sauce. So that's mm. not what we do, because when we build the dish from scratch, we're often braising the beef that's going into the curry. In the coconut that we're using, and then we added that coconut back into the curry, so that it has layers of flavor build up. Uh, and often, you know, for example, uh, if you look at a recipe that requires, you know, garlic for 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 example, might have three different types. You know, we might have fried garlic chips, uh, fried Thai garlic. We might have fresh garlic added into the paste. That's so you know when you're tasting a dish, it's not so one dimensional. But at the same time, you failed if you if you make something with all these different ingredients and it tastes busy right so the trick is to to layer all these things and then be able to balance them into kind of our harmonious dish you know like uh, when you taste something that's overwhelming or seemingly too busy then you failed right um mm-hmm. yes there are cases where like it's overwhelmingly hot or because or, or or sour but that's if that's the way it should be then uh that's the way but but if you just do uh sour, uh, with like vinegar, then that's very one dimensional, right? So sometimes we'll season with tamarind, we'll season with lime juice, we'll season with different things that have that sour aspect to really kind of balance the flavor. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's in, in a a nutshell, kind of what, what that meant.
1: Right. Right. And I like how things, uh, when, when they're layered like that, they, it's almost like a time release and you experience one flavor and then it transforms into something else and then it, it finishes. Somewhere completely different, and, and you experience all those different ingredients uh, together, but separately as well.
2: Oh yeah, and I think I think uh,
1: when I do cooking classes
2: for cooking schools, for example, I often thought that you know, like the, what what people are teaching in cooking school is good, but they're teaching you techniques. You know, I think a lot of uh, cooks are too technique driven. Not of them are, you know, a lot of them just don't trust home cooks, especially you know, don't trust their palate. They don't trust. They have to follow oh it says one tablespoon of salt but it doesn't taste right <laughs> you know like it's like the way that um, people have to cook is that you have to really it's it's more common sense than you think you know like it's about balance like if it's if it's too salty add a bit of sugar or if, you know it's it's about things that uh, you play around with your palate it's very I, I call it intuitive cooking so stuff like that my mom does you know like she never necessarily always like it's a, it's like a, a splash of soy sauce here and then a splash of soy sauce there and then another splash at the end because it needs it. Whereas I think if you just follow a recipe, you know, you're kind of adding it all at once, hoping that in the end it's going to turn out okay, right? So that's it's more intuitive to actually kind of um, season as you're going to kind of follow the dish progress and, and so, so on mm-hmm. and so forth.
0: Yeah. Right. I know when I work with you or watch you, you're always tasting throughout the dish. And how hard was it for you then to actually write a cookbook and and feel like that's that's the recipe that uh, you want out there? And do you? I can't wait to see the book, by the way. But I, do you do you offer suggestions on on what to do, or you just say taste and season to taste at the end? Or
2: I definitely have uh, the dishes that we put in. You know, is with you know, ten years of Maine being open and, and several cooking demos. Like I, I, I feel comfortable with the. Uh, quantities however i also this is something i learned from david is that um, you know at the end of pretty much most recipes there's a guideline on how things should taste and most recipes don't tell you that you know a lot of a lot of times uh, my recipes say at the end this thing should taste rich of flavor from the garlic and equally hot and sour and different things like that so when you're cooking it at the end it, as you're tasting it when you make that final adjustment as a cook you have things to look for not only in, in presentation, you know, a lot of times, you know, you look at recipes, they, they teach you about presentation, but they don't really tell you how things should taste. Mm. And if you add certain things at different times, they taste differently. So, mm-hmm. you know, I try to get people more um, uh, intuitive cues to look for, like for signs of fry the garlic until it's aromatic instead of frying for two minutes, right? Because I will say frying for two minutes could be different at home versus at someone's restaurant. Uh, So, you know, I try to get people, uh, you know, senses to look for, like smell, sound, you know, like sear until you can hear certain sounds or, or, you know, fry the curry paste until it gets dark and releases the oils and aromatics. So those are the signs that I try to put in as well as measurements, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The publisher obviously had certain guidelines that we had to do certain uh, measurements, but at the same time. Uh, when you look at some of these traditional recipes, there's no measurements at all. It just tells you what what it is, and you're supposed to kind of use your intuition to kind of piece it together. And that's often how I use cookbooks. It's like when I look through someone's book, I'm like I want to make this tonight, and I kind of I go down the ingredients list. I don't really pay attention to how much they mm-hmm. used for certain things, but it's it's I take kind of what that meant to me, and I interpret it, and then using my intuition and you know seasoning. Um, and you know, people might not want to season the way I season, but I at least left cues on like what to look for, right? So,
1: yeah, um, I like I like those that approach. It really allows for some self-assessment and, and room to growth. You know, you're not just a robot following this recipe. It it, it opens up your your uh, potential for creativity then too, and, yeah. and to adjust.
2: You know, different people buy uh, cookbooks for different reasons. right? there's people that buy it just to look at pictures, and there's people that yeah. follow it to a cue. Like they, they not that they're in, 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 not that they're incompetent cooks, but they're just they love to try out different recipes from other people. And then mm-hmm. there's the third kind. You know, like I think a lot of the professional chefs are, are like are like the third kind where we look for inspirations and we we take a few cues and then we make our own versions of it. So you know, for a cookbook to be successful, you sort of have to appear to the masses you know like it's not a it's not a yes it is a, a book about you know the recipes I've done and the restaurants and different things like that but it's not like a vanity book where you know people would buy and just, I hope not to put on a coffee table and look pretty even though I think it looks pretty <laughs> um it's so you can't do that if you want but uh, you, you want it to you want people to be able to enjoy it who, whichever level they are I think that's the sign of a successful book and hopefully ours can achieve that
1: Speaking of pretty, uh, you're you're quite a photographer yourself. And uh, did you shoot it yourself, or did you have somebody else shoot it?
2: I had a photographer, but I did I, I did all the lighting, the set. Uh, so I made a I, I was able to uh, I, I I have a fine arts degree, so I was able to make all the uh, the tabletops, you know, some of the fake concrete boards, and I, I made all the sets. And um, it, it was shot in my office for majority of the shots, which. I think for the most part, people that do do a cookbook, uh, photographers are very expensive, mm-hmm. and often you have to shoot at their studio where their equipment is that has very limited cooking capacity, right? So it becomes very limited. So it's it's a bonus for me to be able to do it in in my space, where my kitchen's downstairs. I have all my camera equipment set up, uh, so I did all the lighting, the the props, the sets, and then uh, Darren, the photographer, did all the all the photography work and the editing and all of that stuff, which. It's Not something I, def- I have time for, but I enjoy the kind of the setup process. And I, you know, I work with Darren to kind of pick the shots that we want. Um, you know, but I, I definitely, you know, invested some money in, in lighting equipment. Um, uh, I made a lot of, um, you know, different sets and I was quite happy with that. It was a lot of experimenting with, you know, it's like, oh, I'm trying to make an antique tabletop. <laughs> uh, you know, I remember. Uh, a lot of YouTube videos, DIYs, and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, no, a lot of that was just kind of trying to look at uh, what type of feel I want. I, I have a friend of mine who, who has a lot of construction material from building houses. So I, I got a lot of reclaimed wood, and oh,
1: cool. uh,
2: I remember this one I made that um, that I was the most proud of in terms of set wise. Um, you know, I, I took his uh, reclaimed uh, wood planks and I painted like seven different coats of paint on, and I just sanded them down to look like a worn out. Uh, table on the street side of Bangkok or something like that. Oh, and, you fun. know, look really convincing That's on cool. camera,
0: uh, and the cheapest we'll look for one be, in the book.
2: Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, you know. let we'll to def- make
0: sure we note that page. Yeah,
2: it's <laughs> one of my favorite props, so I used it in,
0: in a couple of pages.
2: So it was it was a
0: fun time doing the book uh, for sure. So one book in, and after all of the experience of, of doing it, is there a book number two in the future sometime? Do you think or?
2: Uh, it's funny because towards the end of the book you know like most people think oh i'm done on my writing i'm done uh i've done all the photography i'm done it's actually just the beginning of the real hard work (laughs) i think um you know the six rounds of editing that went back and Uh, forth with you know three different editors plus my ghostwriter and myself um you know it's probably the most tedious task i ever had to do um and reading reading through people's comments that uh and you know I, i i understand you know a lot of the editors they um they're not as um, familiar with cooking as you are. But then again, there might be people that buy you a book that are in the same shoes. So during that process, I was like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> this is so painful. Uh, but now that it's done and the book's about to come out, I'm pretty excited. And uh, I think now overall, when you look at the whole entire picture, I, I would be gladly to do it again.
0: Yeah. Oh, does, cool.
1: Does it feel like it reads? Like, do you hear your voice when you read it or do other people hear your voice? Were you able to preserve that?
2: Uh, definitely I think um, I wrote uh, all the recipes and then I work with the ghostwriter to kind of uh, in every recipe I try to include a little small background story and stuff like that so and then uh, then my ghostwriter joy kind of takes it and and um, you know massages it up a little bit while she's working on all the introductions and all the different things um, based on basically on our sessions together and you know it's all it's all it's done in a way that it's uh you know, it's done in a way that is through my voice, and you know I've read it uh, way too many times, and I, <laughs> I do feel like people will uh, get me at the end of, at the end of the day. I think so. That's that's important.
0: Mm-hmm. So when you Angus, when you talk about flavor and, and tasting and and how you want that dish to taste, how do you work with the people you put in charge of your kitchens and your other concepts? I mean, you're one guy, and you've got all these different concepts. How much time, and how do you go about? Teaching that person what you want that dish to taste like.
2: Uh, I'm I for one aren't the type of person that's going to stand behind people, and, you know, whipping wh- whipping them into shape. But I do like you know, Mike, our head chef at Main Am, has been with us for ten years, pretty much almost since day one that we opened. So he's been a head chef, and uh, you know, our retention for staff is pretty good. We treat them well. Um, Key. You know, mm-hmm. I think our pay is not the highest in, in the industry, but it's very competitive for what we give them. And, and I think the most important thing is that, um, you know, it's like a small family and, and generally speaking, I've never hired, uh, management level cooks, uh, in any of my restaurants from, from outside. So we always try to grow within and every time we open something new, uh, there's always an exciting opportunity to a sous chef that's been with us for a couple of years that wants to kind of hit that place up. So most of the places, um, all the places that we open uh, have staff that's worked with us uh, for a set amount of time. And, you know, they kind of pass on the teachings and the trainings and, and they, you know, they on a daily basis. Uh, my wife's in the kitchen, too. So she she sets things uh, as well when I'm not around, because, you know, a lot of times I'm I'm often traveling to different different things. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, this year was packed with like something different every month and suddenly everything's gone. Right. So but, social yeah.
0: calendar your calendar opened up pretty quickly this year.
2: Yeah, but in a good way, you know, I actually yeah. didn't realize how much uh, how much time I uh, I miss, uh just being, you know, away all, all the time and really enjoying my time at home. I, I was busy with a kitchen rental here uh, at home because I cooked every day, three meals a day instead of, we used to eat out all the time, like seven days a week we'll eat out. But now, you know, I just really enjoy cooking at home as well. Um, you know, I still try to support my friends' uh, restaurants when I can, but it's kind of right. the reverse. I like will go out like once a week instead of. Eat home once a week now, you know. So
0: that's great that you do that with your staff and from within. And that also, you know, they they have got that proven history with you. You know them pretty well before you put them in a management role of your or a leading role in one of your new your new restaurants. So that's a great uh, great philosophy to have there, and I'm sure your employees appreciate the opportunity.
2: Yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's a different it's a different way of working in our restaurants. It's not like you know someone that has a. Uh, we actually had. Better um, success rates with uh, cooks that have very limited experiences. That you know, maybe they're a year or two out of cooking school. They're looking to to get something that's uh, very different, versus like you know, we have hired uh, you know very experienced cooks that come in. And they'll probably spend a year and leave. But the, the 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 people that are more younger, they 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 come in because they're they're clean slate. You know, with with the stuff that we offer. They tend to stay a lot longer so.
1: Mm, yeah. It well, just just breeds that loyalty. Mm-hmm. You know, when when you give them opportunity and chance and room to grow, um it's it's paid back um uh, Yeah, I and mean,
2: then people as long as they stay after 1 year they get uh, full benefits. Uh and then when they become wow. management uh when they become management level, we we pay them uh, gold level benefits. So their whole entire family is covered. Uh full dental and everything. So you know that's wow. that's something that we pay extra, right? Because I've always okay. said it costs more money for me to hire more people than to spend it back on them. Uh, so you know, I tell them a lot of times it's not wow. just a race that you get, but it's like you know, um, uh, my you know my wife often organized like group hiking with with all the kitchen staff, or we'll do activities that make them feel inclusive, uh, and uh, I think people overall are very appreciative of that. You know the the. The benefits thing started about a year and a, and a half ago. And I think people have been very happy to to get that as well, because, you know, some of our, 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 our staff have kids as well. And it's very difficult. You know, like you go to go to see a dentist it could be like 500 bucks, but now it's covered. So.
1: Hmm. Wow. Wow. Restaurant that offers benefits. I mean, there's plenty of places around here that could uh, take a few notes from that. Oh, that's, that's well, incredible. It, it
2: was difficult for us at first because uh, restaurants are small and has high overhead. But yeah. uh, it became easy when we started having multiple locations, and we have five restaurants um, uh, that partake in the benefit pool. That was able to bring the prices down to a point where it's manageable. Uh, so uh, that's one of the benefits of having kind of um, you know uh, a small group of places where we can share a lot of the overhead. So you know, we have in-house bookkeeping where, you know, my bookkeeper's office is right next door to mine. And um, so it's a little bit more efficient. Uh, and, and the the health benefit was definitely a uh, result of that.
1: Do you ever get into consulting? Like somebody who has a restaurant or maybe two and they're looking at expanding?
2: Yeah, I did consulting uh, a few years ago. Actually, quite a while ago, I did a, I did a whole year of consulting in New York when I was flying back and forth every month. And um, you know, there's definitely a lot of things I, I enjoy doing about that. And I think that really was a positive uh, kind of outlook. That was kind of the biggest uh, consulting job I took on is, you know, like a full operational restaurant in a boutique hotel in, in Soho. And I was flying there once a month for a whole year. Um, and and then after that process, uh, we went from basically one restaurant to two to three to four to five to six. Uh, so I've been really busy with my own Uh, opportunities here uh, plus the book so the consulting Mm -hmm. stuff is uh, you know I I still get people that uh, you know contract me to do certain things but it's not not like a full year or full-on engagement like that Um, and I guess I guess too like through my consulting company uh, a lot of times it would be um, you know Nowadays, with the the social media uh, promotions and stuff like that, so we do we do stuff like that through the consulting company as well. But mm. nothing 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 like the full year thing I did uh, sure. a few years back. Yeah.
1: Well, maybe that's the next book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that would probably suck a few years out of your life.
0: <laughs> yeah. so, Angus, in the beginning, we were talking uh, about the James Beard House, mm-hmm. and um, that you had a couple of opportunities to go there, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. clicked there twice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So how did that happen? And and, um, you know, the awards. How how does that work there with the James Beard? Yeah.
1: Do they like send you? How how, how do they send you invitation? Is it like a really fancy envelope, or is it just an email or a text message? Or Uh,
0: well, the
2: first time happened when I was twenty seven. This was you know two months into. Uh, my son was born. I got invited, and
0: um, you were the youngest ever to be invited, I don't then, weren't you?
2: I don't know if I was the youngest, but I was. Uh, I was definitely. I felt like I was the youngest, but <laughs> I was 27, uh, I believe. And um, it happened because I went to school in New York, and Eric, who was the head of school, he graduated about a year before me. So, uh, ever since he knew I was working in Canada, even since ever since I was kind of just the minute I left the school. I kind of became like this Canadian ambassador for the FCI. Um, (laughs) well, I mean, I just read that last week I got there, they're merging with, uh, ice. So that's another future that is, uh, doom and gloom for our industry is like, uh, all the culinary schools are shrinking, but on a side note, Mm -hmm. so back to what I was saying. Um, so I've always been kind of the Canadian contact. And when I opened my own restaurant, uh, Eric, uh, uh, had, took note and uh, he's always sending me students they there in Canada and and he's uh, on the board at the time for James Beard House and their VP um, was coming to town so he sent him uh, my way and I cooked for him and and in person he invited me to go there and cook and you know it was a big deal for for me at the time because was, I was 27 um, and, uh, and that, that happened shortly after my son was still you know, the baby we had to carry him uh, everywhere we went, and then the second time was when I was doing the consulting gig in New York. Uh, you know, I invited them to over for dinner, and they're like, "Well, you have to come back and cook another dinner." So, that, you know, that was um, that was definitely much easier having your own kitchen in New York to kind of prep the foods and stuff like that. So.
1: How how does the it feel like? Is it do you get an additional pressure? I mean, maybe not when you were twenty seven. You're just like, oh, it's another meal, but you know, when you're when you go back again. Do you use it as an opportunity to really uh, get really creative or are you just like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the classics and do what I do best?
2: Well, I think the first time that I got invited, it was in different contexts. So the first time I went there as for Gastropod, my first restaurant was more European and we were doing like modern Canadian food and, and that's what I was trying to showcase. So I flew over all the ingredients. It was all about the local farmers. And,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, you know, we, we flew local venison over. I had to declare it and, you know, game meats and different things like that. And uh, all the vegetables were grown locally. So it, the first time was more of a showcase of uh, kind of modern Canadian cuisine. And I was kind of the young up-and-coming Canadian chef at the time. Um, so there was no pressure. It was a tremendous sense of pride to be able to showcase what you do, uh, you know, in in on on a high level like that uh and i think you know i was very excited about that Uh, um i felt that um you know i wasn't nervous to kind of like this is my food i felt like i was showcasing oh these are beautiful products of my country and and this is what i did with it so you know it was well received the second time was like uh it was done through kitty chai the restaurant i was consulting for and um it was more about modern Thai food, so it was kind of tie in with on what we're doing now. So it was more about showcasing different flavors, uh, Thai flavors. Uh, so, you know, again, it was no pressure because I just, it's, it's more, it's more, I think, you know, if you talk to artists when they're about to go to a show or, you know, athletes when they're about to go into competition, it's more excitement uh, mm-hmm. than, than nerves for me. Um, so, you know, that was exciting to be able to share your, your food with people.
1: I did want to talk a little bit about the first recession mm-hmm. and uh, what were some of the the lessons that you learned from that and how applicable are they to what we're going through now and experiencing now?
2: Well, you know, I think about that a lot because I was telling my wife that, uh, you know, I think 10 years ago uh, I was much younger and, you know, for, for us financially we were hit much harder at that time. You know, uh, even though, uh, and it, it really felt like it just happened to only us, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, definitely took a lot of lessons from that in terms of how to mentally prep myself. Uh, this, this year, I think I was very different in terms of, you know, I think this year, because it's a global pandemic, there was, there was a lot of support from the government. Uh, and it's not really, if you look at it, it's not just us. It's everywhere mm-hmm. uh, in the city, everywhere in the country, everywhere in the world. Uh, so that's easier kind of to understand and, um, you know, just be patient and, and set a plan on how to how to return it. And, and, you know, right now uh, for our future, normal is, is a moving target. You know, like there is no normal. Um, we, we've been doing a lot of takeout and through this process, we started doing uh, takeaway foods, packaged foods. And that's been, uh, you know, something that I think if we – if we were to go into another lockdown, that's something that we'll probably continue to explore because I think in the future, uh, when this new normal happens, I do think restaurants will have to take on less customers. And that's difficult for ever rising costs in restaurants, like food costs is rising, rents rising. So how do we handle less customers? You know, People will have to adjust to paying a little bit more money for good food. Uh, and I do think uh, it will because there will be less restaurants for them to choose from. So when they do get to go out, it will be a, a better experience, in my in my opinion. I hope so, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do think that, you know, if we have to all raise our... I read this article in New York Times, like, you know, every restaurant should raise their prices by 19%. I don't know who you got that from, but... <laughs> you know, if we all... If we'll go across and raise 20%, and, you know, the cost of beef is going up, because a lot of meat production plants are, are having, you know, COVID breakouts in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cost, you know, of a lot of our produce come from the States and that's not happening right now. So everything's gone up, right? And then we're suddenly only limited to doing 60% of customers. Uh, something's got to give. And 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 uh, I do think there are restaurants that's closing left and right. And hopefully um, in the end, when it all balances out, the new normal is going to have, um, you know, we're going to be able to compete with quality instead of just quantity and, and low prices. You know, I think that's, that's the hope, right? So a lot of yeah. times uh, a mom and pop restaurant to compete with you know how low they can go with their price and not necessarily quality um, I do think that uh, people will be more selective when they go out uh, and, and mm-hmm. in turn I think it would be a better experience and I do think we are going to continue to focus on takeout and and, and more takeout options uh, a lot of restaurants here are doing uh, package takeout uh, concepts like a party mix or you know like a barbecue kit you know different things like that um, or like a, a set menu takeout, you know, so you go home, it's like a sit, tasting menu takeout. So there's a lot of people doing different things, but uh, I've stuck with kind of the a la carte takeout concept. It's gone over quite well because I think people always like to have the uh, have the ability to choose. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, my idea for takeout is like, you know, you want to offer a takeout menu that people can eat on a daily basis. right? So if you're offering an overpriced tasting menu for takeout, they can order it once a month. Or something like that. So takeout for me has to be something that's uh, approachable. And on, on on our end too, we've been focusing on, like I said, doing the, the packaged foods that you know we're, we're freezing and we're we're selling with our local pro, um, uh, grocery uh, purveyors that deliver to your door. Uh, and that's been something that has been a, a pretty decent start for us on, on that front. Uh, you know, I think it's something that going forward uh, when the new normal. Uh, Happens, I think people will probably start uh, thinking more about that.
1: Yeah, I think you're on the right trend with your ghost kitchen. That seems to be a model that will prove to be successful in the future with all these modifications and changes. So,
2: yeah, I mean, if if you have a restaurant already that you're paying rent and there's a prep kitchen upstairs and we have all the equipment we need to do it, um, it makes uh, it makes perfect sense right now because not a lot of people are going to uh, co-working spaces, you know, or Mm -hmm. different things like that. So. Mm -hmm. It, uh, it made a lot of sense for me not to reopen that one and, and move that into more of a delivery and, and takeout concept. So,
1: I got one last thing for you, sure. chef. Um, so I, I frequently ask other chefs this, and um, I'm curious what uh, what maybe one of your top three things that you've ever made that you just like, wow, I nailed this. Uh, this is this is as good as it's going to get for me for this dish. What was maybe one of the top, you could even be one of the top ten.
2: Right, well, I'll give you, I'll give you two examples because they're they're, t- they're two very different things. So, like gastropod was very market driven food. Uh, you know, we cook whatever is in the season, whatever the farmers bring us. Uh, versus main on is very kind of a lot of work goes into researching the recipes and certain things like that. So, uh, you know, when I was gastropod, uh, you know, I had this guy Anthony who we'll always drive up once a week with the best produce from the Okanagan Valley, which is five hours away. And I remember getting these uh, perfect ripe peaches um, mm. that 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 afternoon, five minutes before we open. And I, I ran a special of uh, you know basil flowers we were growing, uh, and you know this perfectly ripe peach. I cut I literally just cut it in half, didn't even peel the skin, and I just muddled it in in a in a in a ring mold. And I put really thinly sliced live scallops on top, and the mm. the the peach juice was acidic enough and sweet enough to kind of lightly cure the scallops and then the the herbs were so fresh and then just some nice olive oil on top and was a really one of my most memorable dishes and this was like three ingredients uh so that's one I love it when when it's just that simple because every ingredient is that good and another one would be like you know I think since we opened Maine I'm I'm often I really love as Rich said um, traveling and researching new recipes and and, you know, I, I think myself as some, someone having a pretty good palate so I could be able to detect flavors. And I never like to ask people for recipes, but I like to try to figure it's something that sticks in my mind. I can try to uh, relive it. So we were traveling to the south one year and I had this one uh, stir fry dish that's really pungent and, and, and spicy. And I was able to try to go off memory and, 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 and write on a few key notes of flavors that I detected. And I was able to make that curry paste uh, from, from scratch and with the ingredients that we were able to get in Canada. Hmm. And it's a lamb stir fry that we, you know, still feature and it's in the cookbook. Uh, and I think, um, it's one of the dishes that really excited me, uh, that year traveling to the South and, uh, to be able to recreate that, uh, with the ingredients that we got. And and, and in my opinion, you know, whatever flavors I remembered it from, it, it was, uh, it was there in the remake diversion and i was very happy with that and there's two very distinct styles two very different ways of creating dishes you know so those two kind of come up come to yeah. mind
1: that's very cool it's got to be like a kind of like a master thief cracking a safe you know you, you don't know what the combination <laughs> is but you're just going off a touch and feel and your senses and you're figuring it out off a of memory that's that's an incredible skill set right there um, well by contrast now what was one of the things that didn't quite work out? Maybe, maybe one of the your least favorite things that you ever made, and it could have it could have been a failure on your own or circumstances and conditions, you know, whatever. Just what what was something that didn't quite add up to your expectations?
2: I mean, I don't know. It's 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 funny because I, I guess my memory bank doesn't keep a lot of those. <laughs> just wipe it just happens. <laughs> Obviously, it <laughs> yeah. happens. But sure. I think. Uh, I would just tell you this is that it, it, it is most often the things that you force and you try mm. too hard on you know sometimes um, these things I the two dishes I mentioned they came together like so perfectly one was about like the freshness of the season another one was about just uh, just getting hitting the right nose at the right time like sometimes I try to make a dish and I, I spent uh, I spend weeks at making and it just doesn't make sense and like you try to tweak it and every time you tweak it, it seems going backwards so um there's de- that there, there are definitely cases like that but we just try not to uh you know you know we i have the pleasure of like uh a kitchen upstairs where we test things and, and, and just n- never mix the menu <laughs> yeah. there are definitely there are definitely some but i just yeah. can't think of any off the top sure. like, it's probably because i just delete them off my memory <laughs> yeah. right
1: away well you you got an arts degree i mean you one of the skills you got to learn is like you got to know when to let something go right you got to know and like otherwise you'll just it'll it'll never be done you'll it'll Never live up to the ex- expectations. You just got to be able to walk away from it and be like, yeah. "This is
2: this is no. it." We, yeah, it was not meant to be. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> Angus, always always a pleasure talking with you and and uh, hearing from you, working with you. It's just always uh, good to get together. Can't wait to have the book come out and uh, read through that. It'll be interesting to. To see it and uh, some of the recipes that and things you've talked about. I know your curry and the things you make. Is that curry recipe, your own homemade curry in that book?
2: Yeah, all, all of them are in the book,
0: yeah. Oh, that'll be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to try that. Yeah, I can't
2: thing.
1: wait for that,
0: yeah. Yeah, Justin, I know you like that uh, style of cuisine as well. So we'll to get together so. and have a couple of uh, meals in VU sometime. Yes, sir. So, Angus, um, we, we always get to ask our guests uh, when they leave the show, If there's any point in their life that someone has said something to them, a quote or just something uh, that sticks with you, that drives you, that inspires you, or you just um, reference often. Do you have anything like that you can share with our listeners?
2: Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned that uh, uh, I'm sitting in my dining room at home, and and I have a framed menu from Michel Bras, one of my favorite chefs uh, in France. I, I, I traveled there when I was 24 to dine as a three Michelin star at the time. And he was, to many chefs, uh, their idols growing up. Um, so he actually wrote on my menu um, in French, but in, in English it loosely translates to uh, it's best to be lost in your passion and to lose your passion. And it's something that I've really, you know, uh, believe in. Uh, and um, it was something very poetic coming from a very poetic chef. Uh, so uh, I've always kind of uh, try, try to adhere to that. So it's best to be lost in your passion and to lose your passion.
0: I think anybody that uh, visits any of your restaurants or has any of your your, uh, your food clearly sees your passion, and uh, it, you are definitely living it and in it. So excellent, uh, as always. Thanks again for Thank joining you. us today. Yeah. Justin, any closing thoughts from you?
1: Yeah, I would once again like to remind everyone to please hit that subscribe button. Never miss another moment with a chef or food service industry professional again. And if you would like to give us a rating, let us know how we're doing.
0: Let us know what we can improve on. And while you're at it, share it with your friends. All right. Perfect. Hey, on that note, uh, if anyone does have anything else that they want us to, to look at here on the feed, uh, please reach out to us and, and leave us a note at volrathfoodservice.com slash the feed. And as I like to end every show, uh, just by a simple little quote of my own, it's don't worry about the other guy and what they're doing. Just focus on what you do best and no one's going to beat you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, take care.